Hey everyone, technically you're getting two days in history today because we're running two episodes from the History Vault. Hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Eves. Welcome to this day in history class, a show that reveals a little bit more about history day by day. The day was May 10th, 1849. In New York City, in front of the Astor Opera House, a theatrical rivalry and class tensions sparked a riot that resulted in the death of more than 20 people and the injury of many more. At the time, theaters were popular hangouts, and star actors were comparable to today's celebrities. Theaters often got pretty rowdy in New York, and riots were not uncommon. American actor Edwin Forrest and English actor William Charles McCready had an intense professional rivalry. Forrest once called McCready's portrayal of Hamlet a, quote, desecration of the scene, and McCready made sure that Forrest got lukewarm press coverage when he went overseas. And their supporters hyped up the controversy. But what amplified the rivalry even more was the class division. Many Americans denounced immigrants like the Irish, whom they disliked for bringing down wages in the U.S. and supposedly ruining neighborhoods. And working-class New Yorkers despised the English and their haughtiness as they flaunted their wealth and status. Stifled by the richest people in New York City and the influx of immigrants, working-class American-born folks felt politically disenfranchised. That frustration manifested through rampant nativism and derision of the English upper crust. The Bowery, where Forrest had seen a lot of success early on in New York, was a favorite for working-class people, or Boweryites. The Astor Place Opera House was on the snobby side, more welcoming to aristocratic types and the so-called Upper Ten, or the wealthiest 10,000 residents of New York City. All these factors went into the conflict that went down on May 7th, when Forrest and McCready each appeared in separate productions of Shakespeare's Macbeth. They were just blocks apart, McCready at the Astor Place Opera House and Forrest at the Broadway Theater. But a bunch of working-class people had bought tickets to McCready's show at Astor Place. The audience booed the actor and threw rotten eggs and pennies at him. McCready proceeded to pantomime the play. But once the audience started throwing chairs into the orchestra and onto the stage, people began to leave and eventually the performance was called off. McCready was ready to leave America, but his supporters talked him out of it. More than 40 prominent New Yorkers, like writers Washington Irving and Herman Melville, wrote a letter to McCready asking him to perform on May 10th, saying that they would make sure the show went smoothly and that he was protected. So McCready rescheduled his performance of Macbeth. Newly elected Mayor Caleb S. Woodhull assigned the 7th Regiment of the state's militia to be stationed at Washington Square Park, fearing a riot that the police force could not handle. The 7th Regiment was previously the 27th Regiment, which had been deployed at the anti-abolitionist riots and Flower Riot in the 1830s. And on May 10th, McCready's show at Astor Place was protected by about 200 citizen soldiers and hundreds of police. There were mounted troops and light artillery. The windows of the opera house had been boarded up in anticipation of the commotion. By the time the doors opened at seven that evening, thousands of people were gathered at Astor Place. McCready's supporters had special identifying marks on the back of their tickets. 
but the house was oversold and people were being turned away. People trying to bombard the entrance were beaten by police, and by 8 p.m., the crowd was about 10,000 strong. Inside, the play had started, but rowdy Boweryites had caused the actors to go into pantomime. People threw stones through the upper window from outside, smashing the chandelier. As the commotion escalated, the militia was called to the scene. McCready finished his performance, then dipped out of the back of the building in a disguise, eventually leaving the city for Boston. But the mob outside of Astor Place had gotten violent, and around 9 o'clock, the troops fired into the crowd. Somewhere around 22 people died during the riots and later, from wounds, more than 150 people were injured, and about 117 mostly working-class people were arrested. And the damaged opera house declined in the wake of the bad publicity. The next day, there was a rally in City Hall Park to protest the militia's actions. Tammany Hall political organizer Isaiah Renders said the following about the shootings. For what then was it done? To please the aristocracy of this city at the expense of the lives of the inoffending citizens. To please an aristocratic Englishman backed by a few sycophantic Americans. They would shoot down their brethren and fellow citizens rather than be deprived of the pleasure of seeing him perform. As a result of the riot, class division in New York City had been brought to light. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If there are any upcoming days in history that you'd really like me to cover on the show, give us a shout on social media at T-D-I-H-C podcast. We'll see you here in the same place tomorrow. Hey y'all, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a podcast that always has history on the brain. The day was May 10th, 1919. A riot began when white sailors began attacking Black people in Charleston, South Carolina. The Charleston riot took place during the Red Summer, a term coined by author and activist James Weldon Johnson. The Red Summer was the period from spring to fall of 1919 when white supremacists perpetrated lynchings, riots, and massacres. During World War I, thousands of Black people in the rural South United States moved to cities in the North. As people who served in the military returned to their homes after the war, tension between white and Black people erupted into violence. That was on top of the fact that racism and anti-Black violence was already alive and well in the U.S. before the war, and labor unrest was at a high. Beyond the resentment that was based purely on race, white people were resentful toward Black people who worked as strikebreakers while they went on strike. And since the first Red Scare was at its height, some people accused Black people of being Bolshevists and anarchists for their advocacy of racial equality and involvement in social and political agitation. At the same time, Black leaders like W.E.B. Du Bois encouraged Black veterans to, quote, return fighting when they returned from fighting, as he said in an essay. Though white people incited riots throughout the Red Summer, Black people did arm and defend themselves. One of the early riots in the Red Summer took place in Jenkins County, Georgia, in April. A month later, a riot broke out in Charleston, a port city in South Carolina. 
the city was home to the Charleston Navy Yard. When the First World War began, the facilities and workforce at the Naval Yard expanded. This invigorated Charleston's economy. But when the war ended in 1918, employment at the Naval Yard steadily declined. Many of the sailors returning from the war passed through the Naval Yard. Black people made up a considerable percentage of the city's population, but that percentage was declining as they moved north in the Great Migration. The true origin of the riot is unclear, but it began on the evening of May 10, 1919, near the intersection of Beaufain and Charles Streets. Some accounts reported that a sailor was unhappy with whiskey he bought from a black man, while others reported that a black man had shot a white sailor. But the riot was likely sparked by a dispute between two white sailors and a black man. The sailors had passed the black man on a sidewalk, but the man did not step aside for them, and the ensuing dispute escalated when someone fired shots in the air. As rumors spread across the city that a black man had shot a white sailor, people grabbed pool cues and balls from a pool room to use as weapons. White sailors also raided shooting galleries and grabbed rifles, pistols, and ammunition and began shooting indiscriminately at black people. Soon, there was a mob of soldiers, sailors, and civilians hunting down black people. Many black people fought back against the mob. Police, provost guards, and Marines were sent in to quell the rioting. Though the Marines did help put an end to the chaos, they did have a hand in the violence. For instance, some Marines shot and stabbed Isaac Moses for not obeying their order to stop running. By the morning of May 11th, the riot had ended. Three men died from injuries they got during the riot, and many others were seriously injured or admitted to the hospital. Mayor Tristram Hyde called for an investigation into the causes of the riot, and the Navy suspended leave for unmarried personnel. Black men were arrested for carrying concealed weapons. A few white sailors were arrested for inciting a riot, and one white civilian was arrested. In a Navy investigation into the riot, Privates Jacob Cohen and George Holliday were tried and acquitted for manslaughter, but they were found guilty of rioting and both served a one-year sentence in a naval brig. Others charged were acquitted of any wrongdoing. Black men who had been injured and the Charleston branch of the NAACP petitioned the Navy for compensation for the harm that had been done. The Navy refused to compensate them, though Mayor Hyde did agree to setting up some protections against future mobs. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can send them to us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. You can also hit us up on social media. We're at T-D-I-H-C podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.